Well, good morning, Victory Life Church. It is indeed great to see you. My name is Pastor Otto. I get the good privilege of welcoming you and greeting you this morning. Happy Fourth of July weekend. It seems as though that many of you come spirited and excited about having celebrated uh, the freedom that we enjoy in our country. Art Box Jr. has a nice red, white, and blue shirt on. Thank you, Art, for demonstrating your patriotism and commitment to freedom. Um, but nonetheless, we know that freedom is a gift from God, isn't it? The scriptures tell us that wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And certainly the Spirit of the Lord has rested upon the United States of America as each and all of us have had the freedom to become God's very best in our individual lives. And so we're, we're thankful for that. But welcome to church. And if this is one of your first time, first times attending Victory Life Church, we want to extend a special welcome to you. And say thanks for joining us in worship today. We are doing our due diligence in trying to social distance. Uh, that's the reason for the plastic on the chairs and such. And our ushers are doing a great job making sure that everybody is safe and sound and healthy. But if this is one of your first times joining us, we want to extend a special welcome to you and invite you to check out our website at vlchurch.com. And there's a New Here tab. You can click on that and let us know that you were here. And I will communicate with you sometime this week. And connect you into all the different opportunities of ministry and all the things that God is doing here uh, at Victory Life Church. And so once again, uh, welcome. I want to make mention of something that you'll probably hoot and holler about. Um, it is indeed the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks we've had folks register for church, but, but our, our usher team has done a great job at making sure that everybody's safe and properly socially distanced, so we think we've got this thing down. And so you no longer have to register for church, just show up for church, and so yeah, that deserves a clap. And honor is due to Tom Corey and his team. Thank you, Joan, for helping out today. They've done an outstanding job making sure that you're safe when you come to church, and uh, so we're really grateful for that. And so just come back to church, invite your friends to church, invite your entire neighborhood to church. If we have to go outside or do something crazy, we'll do that. But we still want to make sure that when we dismiss you, uh, we do that in a very organized fashion. And so our ushers will dismiss you row by row at the end of service. So wait for them to uh, come find you and dismiss your row. It's just kind of like going to a wedding during the summer. So our ushers will be doing that. So thanks for being gracious with us. Also, we're going to do something special today. We are going to pray for one of our very own as he is departing for uh, basic training in the in the Army. Jake Layton is departing today. And uh Jake, are you in the house? Jake, there you are. Um, hi, Jake and family. We're so excited to bless him and uh, pray for him and consecrate him. Yes, that deserves a clap. You know, in light of the fact uh, that we're celebrating the freedom that we enjoy in our country, we want to honor you as one who will serve our country. And so we thank you uh, for your commitment to that service. And so we're going to pray for him after service today. And so if you'd like to join us, we're actually going to be properly socially distanced. We're going to go outside and encircle him in our big parking lot and uh, just kind of put our arms in the air like that and pray for him. And our elders and pastors will pray for Jake and encircle him and his family as we do so. And so we're excited to do that. I want to make mention finally of the fact that you can give to Victory Life Church. And we've uh, provided a few very easy ways for you to do that. As you likely know, you can give online at vlchurch.com backslash give. It's right there on the screen for you. Uh, you can go there, click on that on our website, and that'll provide some prompts for you. Or you could text the message VLC3833 to the number 73256 and follow the prompts via text. Or you can always, on your way out, um, just give an actual physical uh, check to one of our uh, ushers, they'll be standing there with an offering bag, and you can do that uh, when you depart today. So once again, thank you for giving to Victory Life Church, and on that note, may I ask you to stand as we prepare and pray into worship today. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you this morning to worship you because we know that you do not grow faint. You do not grow weary. In times like ours, uh, when many are experiencing fears, anxieties, and doubts, we know that in the middle of these times, you give us strength. We wait in eager expectation for you to show up and demonstrate your strength to us. And so we come to you this morning because you are our main source of strength and hope and encouragement. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. 
darkness comes. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your life. 
our rock. So we declare this together. I'm standing on the rock. No, oh, I am standing on the rock. I am standing in your love. Yes, I storms of life come, when the sea billows roll, we can say it as well with our soul this morning. Allow that to be your prayer to him, because he loves to hear you tell him that I trust you. I believe in you. 
put your trust and your faith in him, he's going to show up. So wherever you're at today, tell him this morning, it is well with my soul. you've seen him move before and he'll do it again no matter what we face when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea 
songs we sang this morning sort of bring us full circle. We started this morning with, if we will wait upon the Lord, our strength will rise. And we end with, whatever happens, it's well with my soul. Growing up, I always thought that waiting on the Lord was like sitting around waiting, because I hate waiting, and so do you. Maybe you had to wait this week in a line, wait this week for this week, this week for that. But in the Hebrew, there is no delineation between the word wait and the word for hopeful expectation. How about we sing that today and think about that today in terms of those who put their, it's almost redundant, hopeful expectation in the Lord. They'll receive strength. And you may have some sea billows rolling today. You may have some curveballs from life. Where is your hopeful expectation placed? Because if it's in the Lord, whether there's a sea billow rolling in life or the trump resounds to end all time, you will have strength and it shall be well with your soul. No heathen fatalism here. Take that heathen fatalism and kick it out the door. For we know in whom we have believed, and we are fully believing that he is able to take care of what we have entrusted him until that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we know in whom we have believed. We believe in your son, Jesus. He has taken all fear, all fatalism, all hopelessness, and he has crushed it underfoot. He has defeated sin and death and hell and Hades. We serve a risen Lord today who has defeated all things that could destroy the human soul. So Lord, we cry out to him today and say, Lord Jesus, we wait in hopeful expectation of your good ends for us. We trust you today for every single circumstance and we know that our eternity today is secure because you died and rose again. Give us hope today. Give us peace today as we wait upon you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Well, you can be seated. The Spirit of the Lord's been so present today uh, in both services. There was even some hooting and hollering in first service, which never happens. And so you are our hooters and our hollerers and uh, second service. So uh, I think I even got an amen in first service. I almost passed out. It was awesome. So uh, we, we love both services, but you are certainly more well-caffeinated than, uh, than, than the first group. So we're glad to be with you this morning. Well, today we are going to end this series in the life of Abraham. Twelve weeks we have journeyed with our father in faith, with the one who's supposed to be our model in faith, and so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the last major story in the life of Abraham. It is Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We've learned so many things in these 12 weeks that when God speaks, faith moves. We've learned that when faith moves, God speaks grace. And when we speak faith, this reflexive thing happens. We speak faith, God speaks grace. God speaks grace, we speak faith. And we have this conversation with God throughout our lives. But we've also learned much maybe to our chagrin, that Abraham wasn't perfect. In fact, Abraham had some problems. I don't know that we'd even say Abraham had a very happy marriage or a very happy domestic life. Abraham did not always do the right thing, did he? Our father in faith oftentimes operated in fear rather than in faith. This, this happened. But we are going to come to the culmination of the story. We're going to come to the big one, the, the story that we're supposed to look at and go, holy cow, this guy's got it. But it just so happens it is my least favorite story in the entire Bible. Not even kidding. I said last week was my second least favorite. This is my least favorite. I don't like this story. This story is grim. It seems grisly. It's horrid and confusing until it's not anymore. And so I'm going I'm to have to ask you to suspend judgment for a few minutes today as we move through what seems horrid and terrible and grim until we see God's three outcomes, because there's a reason that this is the culmination of the story of Abraham. It's the reason that this is the culmination of, our, of the story of our father in faith. And there's a reason, even a grim story, a, a story so grim, it is only rivaled by the death of Christ itself in the Bible as being shocking. 
Remember when Jesus said, yes, yes, you're right, Peter, I am the Messiah, right? And now I'm going to die a horrible death. And they're like, what? Well, this is a what moment. But we're going to see three things that God has for us today to culminate the walk of faith. Let's look at chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 1 and following. After these things, well, we've had 12 weeks of these things. Abraham had about 35 years. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning I wasn't being, having spasms, I just, this is awful. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place that God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy are going to go over there and worship and come again to you. This can't be serious. Are you reading this? Like, if you're not reading this and going, oh, you've read it too many times, or you're just not listening. He is asking him to send his son, his one and only son, whom he loves, and make a burnt offering out of him. Sacrifice him. This is what God is asking. This makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. It makes no sense on a number of levels. Let's talk about it. Number one, Isaac is the son of the promise. God has promised Abraham these seven things all the way back in chapter 12. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Nations of the earth are going to come for you. And the big one, the one that matters for us today, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's us. God has said this is going to happen through this kid. Now go sacrifice him. That makes no sense. Number two, go sacrifice a kid. This is crazy, Right? This is not the God that we know of. This is not the loving, gracious, compassionate, good God that we've been reading about since chapter 1, or in our case, since chapter 12. That, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't the God we know. The God that we've been reading about is gracious, even in spite of human sin, full of love, even in spite of human ridiculousness. God is good. How could God do this? It's ridiculous on another level. Now, granted, this is the first book of the Bible, right? But it's ridiculous because we know that God outlaws child sacrifice. Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 18, Micah chapter 6. This same God says, no, never. Never do this. Right? Except he hasn't said it yet. He's asking Abraham, apparently, to go do this. This is crazy. This doesn't seem like anything we know about this God. God's done nothing but good to Abraham to this point. And here God is asking him something zany, something crazy. And God seems to know. You know how I know that? I know in the Hebrew. First he says, take your son. Take your one and only son, the one whom you love, and then he says something in the Hebrew that doesn't translate in the English. He says, if you please. Now, God, is, God has never told me to do anything and then said, if you please, afterwards. Only six times in the Hebrew, in the Bible, does God ever say, if you please, and every time he's about to ask somebody to do something really hard. Okay? God knows this is a huge ask. But he asked Abraham to do it anyways. It makes no sense because this, this isn't the God that we've been reading about. So that's the weirdness on God's part. Then there's the weirdness on Abraham's part. Where's the protest? Where's the, where's the, hold on God, wait. This was, remember Abraham goes, hey God, what if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom? What about that? How about 45? God, how about 40? God, how about 35? How about 30? How about 20? 10? Will you hear 10? Do I hear 10? This is Abraham who does protest. This is Abraham that did not want to let go and let God in chapter 21, remember? He said he was very displeased that God was going to allow Isaac to move on, remember? Abraham's up for protesting. No protest. In fact, we don't get any window from the narrator into the mindset of Abraham throughout this entire story. So all we can assume is that Abraham's gone crazy, right? Because this can't be the voice of God. If you were to tell me this, I would tackle you and call the authorities immediately, right? That'd be it. I'd be like, Otto, you're stronger than me. He's got big guns. Anybody ever seen Pastor Otto's guns? You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Next week, wear one of them muscle shirts you wear to the office. But anyhow, uh, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. he's got big guns. But, but I'll have Otto tackle you, and I'll call the police, right? All right? I'll have Otto tackle you, I'll call the police, because this is zany. Because we know that this isn't cool. This isn't cool, but Abraham does it. Now, why does they, why? Uh, well, let me tell you something about Canaan. 
Let me tell you about something about Canaan for just a minute. Canaan did do this. In the land of Canaan, child sacrifice was real. It happened all the time. We know this from the archaeological record, the historical record. So his neighbors, this would have been no big deal to them. They would have sacrificed this to, to Marduk or Molech or Dagon or whatever god they were serving among the pantheon of gods. They did this type of stuff, but it's zany to think that Yahweh God would do it, and it's even more zany to think that Abraham starts doing it. It's crazy. In fact, Abraham cuts the wood himself. He's got servants everywhere. He's like, no, I got to do this. I got to cut the wood. This is demented. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on his son Isaac. Good job, Dad. Yeah, carry the wood, son. Yeah, so he puts it on his son Isaac. He took, it in, he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and both of them went up together. Now Isaac said to his father, my father. He said, what is it, my son? Here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. That's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Some of you are like, I'm new to Christianity. I think I'm going to leave now. This is crazy. Yeah, it is more lunacy. First off, I want to I give you a picture because there is a little picture into Abraham's mindset and it happens here in verse 5 and it happens in verse 8. The first is this, if you want to go back to verse 5. Abraham looks at his two servants be before he and Isaac go up the hill and he says, the boy and I are going to go worship. We're going to go over there and worship. And he says in the Hebrew, we will come again to you. Isn't that interesting? We don't see it in the English because we don't really do first-person plurals in the English. We just assume that we know what's going on. First-person plural in the Hebrew has to be there because Hebrew is a little bit more precise. So therefore, it says we're going to go over and worship and we're going to come back to you. Just, just hold that in your thought process for just a minute. Now look at verse 8. He's walking up the hill with Isaac and Isaac says, where's the lamb? And what does Abraham said? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So what's taking place here? Well, one of three things. Either one, Abraham's lying to everybody. It's possible that could be what's taking place. He's lied before, so could be that. Two, Abraham's lying to himself. Or three, Abraham's convinced that when he gets to the top of the hill, God's going to do something so that he's not going to have to go through with this. Now, depending on your temperament, you could decide which one you want to go for. But something's happening here between verse 5 and verse 8 that he's being so enigmatic. Either one, he assumes him and Isaac are coming back down the hill. Two, he, he, he assumes that God's going to relieve all of this and that's why they're going to go back down the hill or he's lying to everybody. But the author doesn't tell us which. What makes this even more crazy is this. They get to the top of the hill, Mount Moriah, the hill on which eventually the temple of the Lord will be built. That's where Mount Moriah is. Think about that for just a minute. They are up on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's where Mount Moriah is. This is where this drama is unfolding. That's where they're at, at this moment. And he binds his son and lays him on the wood. Now that's just crazy to think about too for just a minute. Why is this? Isaac was big enough to carry the wood, right? A wood for a whole burnt offering. I don't know that I'm big enough to carry the wood for the whole burnt offering. I'd be like, Otto, take this, right? I don't want to carry this. I, 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 that's a lot of wood, okay, that he's taken up the hill, all right? And he puts it on his son. So we're not talking about a five-year-old here. We're talking about a strapping young lad. And there is no sign of struggle on top of the hill. And the Bible records, no, Dad, what are you doing? This is the weirdest worship service we've ever had, you know? None of that. No type of, of, of questioning of God, no, or questioning of Abraham, no type of struggle. So how does this take place that he binds his son and lays him on the altar without any, any sign of struggle? I can only assume one of three things. Well, I guess I could assume a fourth thing. A fourth thing, we, we could assume that the Bible just glosses over the struggle, but the Bible loves to tell us horrible details we don't need to know. So I gotta keep, take that one out. So here's, here, so we don't have the sign of the struggle, so what, what, can we, what can we surmise? Well, either one, 
Maybe Abraham said, oh, Isaac, look, a fox, and knocked him out before any of this happened. I don't know, right? Maybe God knocked him out. I don't know. And the third one that seems improbable but could be the case is maybe Isaac never felt any fear in the hands of his father. But there's no sign of struggle. And if there was a struggle, I believe that the Bible would have told us. The Bible tells us horrible things about all the heroes but Jesus. So, you know, you figure, if it adds to the drama, the biblical writer would have let it in. But there is no drama on top that hill. We have this picture of either a willing Isaac or a knocked out Isaac going, okay, okay. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, more weird language, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram. He offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, whatever day it was that this was written, on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God wasn't going to let Abraham go through with it. He never was, and you knew that. You suspected it all along. If you had read chapter 12 and following, you'd know that this good and gracious and loving God would have never let this happen. You knew that this was a drama, but but it was a fictional drama, if you will. You knew that God was never going to let this go on, right? You knew that this was a charade. You just didn't know why God was doing it. The good news, too, is it says Abraham reached for the knife. How many of you have seen that classic picture of Abraham over his son like, you know? He reached for the knife and God said no, right? That's when, the, that's when the drama stopped. I hate that picture. I'll never look at it again. I have children. This, is, this whole story is horrifying to me. It's still horrifying to this day. I didn't even want to preach it. I got to the end of the life of Abraham. I'm like, no, it's a terrible story, but it's in there for a reason, and we'll get to that in just a minute. God wasn't going to let this happen, so why the charade? What did God do this for? Why is it in our Bibles, right? Writing in the ancient world was a very expensive thing. They used an economy of words. They wanted to get it. The the biblical writer needed to get it in. God needed us to know something. Why is this the culmination of the life of faith? This horrible, grim story. What's going on here? Well, there's one false assumption, but there's three real positive outcomes. Here's the false assumption. If you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 22 and you only read Genesis chapter 22, you would decide that maybe you should become an atheist, right? This is the God the Christians serve? Yeah, I knew Christians were weird, and you're out. If you only read chapter 22. But if you had read the entire story of the life of Abraham, you know that this God is gracious, this God is good, he takes care of people in spite of human sin, he, does, he loves people, this, this can't be right. He's not going to let this happen. So then we're left with the task of going, what's it in there for? What's going on? And the false assumption is this. The false assumption is that God was in heaven going, I just need Abraham to love me more than his son because I have some issues and I need to know like 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 a horrid petulant child that he will kill his son for me I need to know that or I'll take my ball and go home right that is the false assumption that we could make if we were just reading chapter 2 for chapter 22 that Yahweh God the one true God the God of the universe I am that I am is no better than Zeus or 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 Aphrodite or any of the other Greek gods who are always doing corruption that that's the God but that's not the God we're talking about it's in there for real reasons and I want to share with you those reasons this morning the first is this we must put the story into context who is Abraham Abraham's name means exalted father Abraham was the one through whom 
all the blessings of God to every single person of faith ever was going to come. Abraham was the sole father of all people who ever put their faith in Yahweh God. This Abraham, through whom God is going to bless the human race, the nations of the earth, and eventually bring his son and savior through, was made to surrender everything to God. To trust God with what was his best and his most dear, or he certainly could not have been our father in faith. Because the true story of the scripture is we do have a good and loving and awesome and gracious God, but when you put your faith in him, one day he will ask you to do a hard thing. He will. He'll ask you to give up something that you hold dear. He never was going to let Isaac be sacrificed, never going to let Abraham go through with that, but our father in faith was made to be taken to the very brink of his existence, the very identity of who he was, so that we would know that our identity and our future and our lives are in the hands of that same God who is going to ask something hard of us one day. I'm really glad I wasn't Abraham. Matthew, I'd like you to go on a missions trip for two weeks in the summer. Oh, God, it's summer. I could be on the beach. I don't want to spend money to go to a foreign country to work. I ask Abraham for his son. Yes, God, I will go on that missions trip, right? He he asked of us such small things compared to what he asked of Abraham. But I think it is sort of fitting that God would take our father in faith all the way to the brink of his very existence so that we would know that we'd never have to go that far. And once again, the the context is that Isaac was the one through whom all of these promises were going to come. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us what Abraham was thinking as he went up the mountain. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham just figured, ah, If Isaac dies, he'll be resurrected from the dead before we come down. Because I know he's a good God and I know he's promised that everything's coming through Isaac. I believe, and this is just me, it's not gospel, it's just me, I believe to the very last moment Abraham was expecting God to provide the lamb. He knew that God had never done him anything but good. He knew that that God had been nothing but gracious to him. He had 35 years plus of knowing that God would not do him wrong. And therefore, as crazy as it sounds, our father in faith was willing to sacrifice what he held most dear. And God said, certainly not, I won't ask that of you. I think sadly, one of the glosses of the 21st century church happens because we sometimes believe that God would never ask us to do anything hard. And truly, we live in an unprecedented age of anxiety and depression and mental illness, and we live in an age where we recognize that many times we come to church and it's therapeutic, it's therapy. I feel better every week after having come here to worship with other Christians. Sometimes I even like what I preach, and I leave feeling better, right? And it is therapy. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. God designed it to be this way, And at the same time, sometimes because it's like that, we we sometimes gloss over the fact that God may require a sacrifice of us. God may require something hard for us to do. That faith is not always about just feeling better. Faith is about doing something that may be hard in order to bring about God's desired end. No amens. I know. I don't want to amen myself. It's hard. There are things that God will ask us to sacrifice. Jesus was at the height of his ministry, at the height of his popularity. And he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it does die, it will provide a harvest. Sacrifice. Hardship. In order to do the will of God. But that's not the payoff of the story, isn't that great? It's not, it's not the final thing. But I will say this to you. Some of you are in here right now and God has been knocking on your heart's door to make a sacrifice for him far short of your best and most. And you're going, absolutely not, God. I don't know that you'll take care of everything if I let you have your way. 
But the payoff of the story is not the sacrifice that Abraham's willing to make. The payoff of the story is what he learns about God. Look at verse 14. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The payoff of the story is not the faith of Abraham. Because who knows if Abraham ever acted in faith again, we don't know. Or fear again, we don't know. Who knows if Abraham had learned his lesson forever and was never going to sin again, we don't know. But we do know this. And this is the payoff of the story. If you surrender everything, you'll see God for who he is. And he is the source of all things. If you will surrender something today to God that you've been holding back, you will see God for who he is, the source of all things. Behold, there will be a ram in the thicket for you. God, I can't imagine that you would ask that of me. I can't imagine that I'd have to do something hard. I can't imagine that, okay, I'll do it. And there's the ram in the thicket. It's been there all along. And you'll learn that the Lord will provide everything that you need. You can't learn who the Lord is until you've stepped out in faith. You can't fully see him for what he has for you until the moment. He can speak grace to you and grace to you and grace to you and grace to you for years and years and years, but you will never know him until you step out in faith to the thing he's calling you to today. You'll never know him for who he is. You mean I'm not saved, Pastor Matt? No, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about knowing the Lord your God until you step out and take that step of faith that he's calling you to today because then you'll find out that he will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That he's got it. That he'll take care of you. That he won't ever do you nothing but good. I know that's terrible English and I meant it to be. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of you. Would you step out in faith and take that step that you know he's been knocking on your heart's door just like Abraham that you can say, you know what, I will trust you with everything. Even if my son dies on this mountain, he's coming back from the dead because I know you do me nothing but good. If you surrender everything, you'll see God for who he is, the source of all things. Isn't it interesting that God has spoke grace to Abraham, grace to Abraham, grace to Abraham for 35 years before he ever asks him to make that move? You say, good, I've got like 30 years to go before I have to give anything to God. No, it's not the point. The point is God had established his pattern of grace so strongly in Abraham's life that when God asked him to do the hard thing, he went and did it. And for many of us this morning, God has established his pattern of grace over and over and over and over again. And he's saying, is it so hard to step out in faith today? Haven't I shown myself full of grace? Why don't you take a leap of faith today and trust that I will provide? So God is going to ask his people to do hard things. But if you surrender everything, you'll see God for who he is, the source of all things. But I promised you three takeaways. And the takeaway has to do with our last bit of confusion today. Why the ram? Now that's odd. I mean, some of you love to read Leviticus. A ram? For a sacrifice? That's different. Bulls, lambs, but a ram? Even Isaac asked Abraham, hey, we do burnt offerings. Where's the lamb? Not the ram. Where is it? Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb. So apparently, Abraham didn't know what he was talking about because God, God provided a ram on Mount Moriah. Kind of weird, right? Two thousand years later, on that hill, the sacrifice that was foreshadowed on Mount Moriah took place. A father took his son, his one and only son, whom he loved, 
and made him a sacrifice in order to fulfill the promise made to Abraham that he would bless all the people of the world. The sacrifice that was made that day was made by a father who loved his son very much. And that father was the same one who asked Abraham that day. See, God never asked another human being to make that sacrifice. In fact, he would have never let a human being make that sacrifice. But he was willing to make it himself. Because the one that was slain on Mount Moriah 2,000 years later was his son. And his name is Jesus. And the reason that God provided a ram was because he was waiting for just the right time to provide the entire world a lamb. Jesus was called the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. God showed us that hard things can happen. God showed us that if we'll trust him with everything, he'll prove himself to be the source of all things. Once again, he proved himself faithful that he would provide for himself the lamb that was to be slain on Mount Moriah so that all the people of the world could be saved. So next time the Lord asks you to do a hard thing, just remember the only one who's ever done the hardest thing was the one who's asking. Would you bow your heads? and pray with me. God, there's multiple ones of us in this room today who you've asked to take a step of faith to do something hard. And we can sometimes say, why me, God? Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to be the one? Why do I have to give that up? Why do I have to take that leap of faith? I don't want to saying because I want you to see me for who I am, the one who will provide everything you need. The wisdom, the support, the strength, the peace, the provision. I'm trying to prove that I am who I say I am to you because when I've done that, you'll change the world for me. Somebody here needs to surrender. You know what God's been knocking and telling you on your heart's door. And you know there's no reason not to obey. He's given you his best in his son, Jesus. What he holds most dear. And today, if that's you and you go, you go I'm going to close my eyes. This is so personal that I want this just between you and God. And many times I keep my eyes open so I can pray for people individually. This is between you and God. Okay? But you know what you're to surrender today, the hard thing. But you have your heart beating in your chest today saying, trust the Lord your God. He's given you everything. If that's you today, would you just hold two hands towards heaven as a sign of surrender? God, you can have it. I'm done fighting you. I'm done rebelling against you. I'm done telling you why it can't work, why it won't work. I'm done, I'm done using my hurts and my scars as a defense mechanism against obeying you. I'm going to obey. Because I want to see what's behind me in the thicket. I want to see you prove yourself so that I can be the person of faith that you called me to be. If that's you, two, two hands towards heaven right now. Surrender today. Surrender today. Surrender today. I want to pray for you. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place. I pray for the ones 
who have been trying to, to deny what you've been trying to do in their lives. I pray for the ones, God, who have been saying, absolutely not, God, if there's anything hard associated with this life of faith, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say forget it. But you're tugging on their heart's door because you want to give them your best right now which is the life that you always meant for them. I pray, Lord, that they would surrender in Jesus' name. Surrender to the one who will do them nothing but good and who will use them for the things for which they have been created. God, I pray that you would fill this house with a spirit of obedience right in this moment, a spirit of trust, a spirit of faith, knowing, God, that you have reserved and held back nothing from us so we'll give you what we have for you to use for your glory and your kingdom. We pray all of these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, we've tried to keep services shorter, tried to not do as much toddlers, Somewhere my son is pitching a fit on the church property right now. But I'd like to do a song before we leave. And let, let's just sing together that old chorus, I Surrender All. And if God's been speaking to your heart today, sing it loud. And if you surrendered years ago, reaffirm it today. But would you stand? Let's sing together. If you know it, great. If Carly can bring it up, great. If she can't, you'll figure it out. It's pretty simple. for you not even sure that I know what it means for me but I know when I do I see my provider and all is right it is well with my soul well do not forget in just a moment to meet us under the portico I trust you guys to be the smartest church goers of all time to form a circle while being socially distant all right we're going to pray for Jake, we're going to anoint him, we're going to send him off, and we are going to be a wall of protection and prayer around him today. Let's pray to close this service. Tom will dismiss you, but come out and let's pray for Jake. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we love you, we know that you have given us your first and best, your only. We know that you went through heartbreak so that we didn't have to. We thank you, Lord, that you have done us nothing but good. And we look forward to, as we surrender in faith, to seeing grace after grace after grace. After all, when God speaks, faith moves.